previously on the Enneagram Journey. Okay, so Chad's a one. Yes. And one of the things that I suggest that people can do to help ones with their voices Mm -hmm. is at the end of the day, sit for 30 minutes with them Mm. and listen to them talk about their day. And I say to other people, don't, you can ask questions, but don't make statements and, and kind of let them work through what happened in the day and they'll be able to let go of whatever the voices told them about the day. When it comes to food, I have certain rules, okay? I mean, there are things you do and, you know, things that you, that you don't do. Okay. <laughs> Joey doesn't share food! I would describe my inner critic as mostly a quiet chatter of instructions or helpful hints or tips on how to not make a mistake or look stupid or take a bad picture or be seen as too much in this situation. I have a lot of, why did you wear that? And you need to be sucking in your gut. You have a double chin. It's pretty exhausting. Welcome back everyone to the Enneagram Journey podcast with Suzanne Stabile, the Enneagram Godmother and author of The Journey Toward Wholeness. Enneagram Wisdom for Stress, Balance, and Transformation, and the editor of the Enneagram Daily Reflection series, which is a good lead-in to today's guest, Juanita Rasmus, author of 40 Days on Being a One. She's an inspirational speaker, spiritual director, and contemplative with a passion for seeing people transform into being their best selves. Juanita co-leads the St. John's Church in downtown Houston with her husband, Rudy, who we're going to hear a little bit about in today's episode. Before we jump to their conversation, who is ready for the holidays. Well, if you are in the camp of people who maybe need a little help preparing, check out Holidays in the Anagram with Suzanne. It's over two packed hours of teaching and Q&A that includes Suzanne's rules for the holidays for all nine Anagram numbers. And you can find it at lifeinthetrinityministry.com and suzannestabile.com. Now, friends, let's hear from Juanita, author of 40 Days on Being a One. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Good to see you. Finally, finally. What has it been like? Three years? Yeah. (laughs) Two and a half. Just two and a half. (laughs) Well, I'm glad to know your kitchen is put together uh, again, Suzanne, and I hope that's what you wanted. You know, um, you wouldn't be happy with the wood match at all on the floor, (laughs) but I I was without it for so long, I just decided to be happy. I know you're right. (laughs) Yeah, right? Like, okay. Exactly. Here we go. It's all good. It's a floor. That's right. That's exactly right. <gasps> I don't know if in y'all your journey in ministry you've ever had to live in a parsonage, but I, I've I there's an eye roll there, like it's it's happened. Uh-huh. No, it has. Oh, okay. It. God, may it never, may right. it never it, happen to it you. It won't. It won't. <laughs> Fortunately, we live in the city where our congregation is, where our church is. We had our own home. And the parsonage was next door to the church in downtown oh, yeah. Houston. In downtown Houston. Forget it. Yeah. Well, we've lived in uh we lived in three, four, okay. and three of them have been torn down. So that'll tell you a good bit. Oh my. And uh, honestly, I live in my own home and it's really beautiful and we really love it and we want to be here forever. And if the wood doesn't match on the floor, all I have to do is conjure up a parsonage story and I'm all good. 
I know you're right. Clarity comes. That's right. That's right. That's right. I'm all good. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know what? I, I have a request before we begin today. I'm making a little shift in my energy. I've been uh, my grandchildren who are uh, four and 15 months old call me Gemma. And so I basically have just kicked my daughter who lives in Indianapolis and son-in-law and the grandkids out so that I could record this. They're down the street at my daughter, other daughter's house who fortunately lives down the street. So could we take a moment and breathe? Oh. in our time together yeah, oh, yeah. man i got i got a whole parcel of grandkids my own self oh you know how that works <laughs> yeah isn't it interesting how great and terrifying it is at all at the same time Goodness, it really yeah. is it really is so i invite us to just take a deep breath and just ground ourselves <sighs> to feel our feet on the floor and to know that our feet are supported with every breath we breathe. We're breathing in God's light and love. And we exhale all of our cares knowing that God cares for us. Breathing in deeply and fully and bringing that breath down into our our tummy and exhaling deeply and slowly. And so gracious God, who is the very breath we breathe, we welcome your presence and believe this is your inspired timing. Allow us to be one with you in this conversation. And allow us to be illuminated by your presence. Lord, it's our hope that what's said and shared and revealed here today will provide insight and hope, perhaps courage, maybe even an opening, a greater opening to love and to be loved. Allow us to be an image of your Trinitarian presence between Joel, Suzanne, and I. So that this is to your glory. We bless you and we thank you asking that you would be present to Joel and the things that are concerning him and present to Suzanne and the things that are on her heart. Likewise, you know the things that would be on my mind and perhaps my even attention today. We give them to you and ask God that you would be God. We bless you and we thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you all. I needed it. So let's just pull that out and use it at the beginning of every podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We'll do intro music and then Juanita and then we'll get with it. Everyone. (laughs)
All right, I'm all yours. Okay. Now, Suzanne, I want to say this. I would like you to educate me today because, okay, so the places of growth, see, and I've always kind of confused those. So between the places of growth and the wings, let me turn my cell phone off. Um, I would like some clarity and understanding on that as a one. What are my wings and what's my place I grow, go to for growth and what's the place to better understand um, when I'm not at my best, where do I go? Okay. Thank you. So I'm not at my the- best all over the place. Time, so. <laughs> well, you keep showing up every time I turn around, you're right there, Joel. So you must be doing so right. <laughs> all right. The wings are, uh, the numbers on either side of your number. So yours okay. are nine and two. Right. And, um, in the tradition that I come through, which is the Richard Rohr tradition and right. Right. Um, the belief is that um, you have one, our belief is that you have one wing for the first half of life mm. and you add the other wing in the second half of life, gotcha. but it all happens intuitively. So you, you, you will not necessarily know that yeah. for three places on the Enneagram wings are real important. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, after you know your number, they're they're just not terribly important. So one okay. place is that the people who have people have the greatest difficulty mm-hmm. determining whether or not they're a nine with a one wing or a one with a nine wing. Mm-hmm. And that only happens in that spot, mm-hmm. which is very interesting to me because ones have the inner critic and nines don't. So I don't understand, frankly, having taught all this time, I still don't understand why that isn't a giveaway that, okay, well then I'm not, I'm I'm not a one. Mm -hmm. So that's important. Um, The other place is nines with a big eight wing is really important Mm. because those numbers are so different, Mm -hmm. but they're both socially justice, social justice conscience. So our daughter, Jenny is a nine with a big eight wing and she doesn't have the one wing yet. Mm -hmm. And she just gets herself in trouble when she gets whipped up about a justice issue because that eight wing gets real big in the room. Sure. sure. We were doing the I have an eight husband, so I yeah, know you know that <laughs> they have a lot of energy mm-hmm. around justice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. The other place is a three with a big four wing. Mm. And again, it's because those two numbers are so different mm-hmm. that when a three all of a sudden is walking around with all of that heavy four melancholy Mm. energy it's very Mm off-putting and awkward Mm. other than that after you learn your number i don't think wings are terribly terribly important okay and you can have a little bitty wing or a Mm. great big wing (laughs) and that makes a big difference too i'm sure yeah yeah Yeah. so my husband joe's a nine and i'm a two but we both have a significant one wing so our kids say it's the same as living with the one. Gotcha. gotcha. But they haven't lived at your house yet. We'll see. <laughs> now, you know, you're so right about that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. All right. So now let's talk about the other two things. I refer to those two places as stress and security. Oh, Not, okay. I like that. Yeah. Well, the reason okay. I do that is because I know what those words mean. Right. You know, I get it a little lost in consolation and disconsolation and mm-hmm. all, all the stuff. But stress right. and security, I get. Gotcha. It. 
Yeah. Yeah. So you go to four mm-hmm. in stress. Mm-hmm. And what that looks like is, uh, you know, you don't become that number. You just take right. on behavior from that number. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the, the, maybe one of the, my best contributions, I think, to Enneagram wisdom is that I don't think you can take care of yourself without the number you go to in stress. So we all need that. And what you get there that you need Mm. is some compassion for yourself. Mm. And you get a capacity for holding imperfection. Mm. Fours don't really trust perfection. You know, they see it as much too elusive and, uh, and kind of, uh, they're kind of disinterested in something, not having a way in through a flaw or something. The tricky piece is that, that, and you allow yourself to be more creative because you have spent time in four. Hmm. It's like, right. Like I give myself I, permission. Exactly. Right. Yes. And, and I remember in reading this in your uh, book that you learned a lot from stressful times. I did. And that's because you brought four back with you. You brought the wow. four lessons back with you to your oneness. Wow. That's so good. Now the fun part is. Hold on, Joel. Are you recording this so I can get all this again? Oh yeah, we've been we've been rolling oh. on this since since oh. you got on. So okay, we're gonna great. open okay, we're gonna good. open with the um, AirPod issues, okay. and uh, <laughs> and close with the breathing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Maybe I'll mix them up and I'll kind of splice it together. Where in the middle of the great prayer, it's like, hang on, are my AirPods linked up? And this is so good. Uh, I hope it's helpful. So here's the it second is. piece. Okay, uh, and this is lovely for you. So I want you to bask in this. Okay. You need to tell Rudy that you need to go away at least once a month. And you can't go to a place that is your place. You got to go someplace where you're not responsible for anything. Because if you do that, your voices will stand down. Mm. Because there's nothing there for you to fix and perfect and make right. Mm. Mm. And. It is the place where you move to seven and you just have fun. And that's security? Yeah. Okay. And you experience more of that when you're not at home because you're responsible for so much less and because the voices stand down. I can't tell you how many ones have told us after they hear me tell that story from all over the country Mm -hmm. will come up and say, um, you know, we went on a vacation and my husband's a one. And he slept so well that when we got back home, he called the hotel to find out what mattresses they had so, so that we could buy them. Mm-hmm. And that's because when you're not responsible for everything, there's a little more room inside you for you to just mm-hmm. be and be content with the beauty of who you are mm-hmm. without having to make yourself or something that you're responsible for better. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to tell you how you know this is accurate already, but I just, over the years, that's the thing I've learned, except I just recently realized 
that at least every four to six weeks, I need to get away. Yep. And I hadn't been doing it that often. And now mm -hmm. I'm finding that my quality of life is just so much richer. Right. I'm a saner person. I'm a nicer person, right. you know. Uh, my husband has just uh, been very gracious about, he always tells me that basically when I come back, it's like, I'm. well, he knows I'm renewed, I'm refreshed, and I can go it again, you know, mm -hmm. on this thing called life. So you're absolutely right. That is, that's been probably one of the most profound impacts on my well-being mm -hmm. that I've experienced. So you almost you almost don't know what life is like without the critic unless you have time to experience that. And then you, I think, once intuitively learn how to nurture that mm -hmm. so that it grows and is is less vulnerable to the critic mm -hmm. when you're back in all of the things that you're responsible for handling. Sure. That's good. Boy, that's so good. My wife is a one, and one of the things that has been a big game changer, we get to go out to uh, her side of the family has a ranch about an hour away, and we would go on Sundays coming back. It was always such a beating because of cleaning up and all the stress and energy she had around that until she realized that the family has a um, person that you can pay to do it and the person knows oh, wow. and the person knows how the family likes the sure. oh, once we started doing that yeah. it changed the whole trip because I know it did. even when on even day one of being out there she's thinking about having to clean up at the end exactly get it so you don't space. ever really unwind yeah because you want to leave it better than you found it mm -hmm. you know yeah so. wow uh, oh suzanne joel yes. and i were talking uh when we were talking to the triad and um, I mentioned that one of the, the devotions I wrote in 40 days was, um, it's not about the cheese. And I mm -hmm. told him about having been in quarantine. And he said, so is food a thing with ones? Do y'all <laughs> not like, don't y'all don't want anybody messing with your food? And what I told him was this. I said, Suzanne, uh, I said, Joel, if your wife is a one like I'm a one, when she fixed your plate, she already gave you the best. Yep. So when she took time to fix her plate, it was like, this is the way she was now going to care for herself. And the fact that somebody took something off that plate was kind of like a, not quite a slap in the face, but it's kind of, um, it's off putting. Let's just, I'll put it that way. Uh, that, that this person has taken something off your plate when you're thinking, but I've just got through bending over backwards, trying to make everything perfect for you. And you would take that from me. Yeah. Help us. Help us. Give us insight. The big thing for me too that from that story, because I I told her, I told the group, I was like, oh my gosh, this is just it saved us one therapy session. Because <laughs> around anything with Whitney and I, it wouldn't be a big deal. It's like, you know, right. to, to take one right. of the chips off her plate at Nacho. But the what I didn't realize was in Juanita's story, and it's true true for Whitney as after I talked to her about it. It was self-care that I, I wasn't honoring mm -hmm. and acknowledging that, yeah, she, mm -hmm. you know, even if she hadn't made me, if I had just walked in and she's got her chip, she's got her lunch or whatever, for me to take a piece of that, she's like, I'm, yeah. I'm taking care of myself right now. Right. 
and it is a slap in the face for you to come in and just do that when you what is a chip oh my god we have chips everywhere and And see if you're eight if you're married to an eight what do you mean i always eat off your plate what do you why is it a big deal now you know right right It's it's very interesting to me to honor and have grace for the reality that ones are being criticized internally so much that taking a chip can be perceived easily and quickly as a judgment that's based on fault in some way. Any time something that a one has done is rearranged, touched, dealt with, moved, then because of their life with the critic, even if that's not the story in the moment, it punches all the buttons that are exposed because of all the criticism. One of the things I I heard somebody say years ago who was a, a participant in a workshop I did And she said, uh, as a one, I feel like my whole chest is covered with um, the the receptacle for where you plug in an electrical cord, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. outlets. They're everywhere. Mm -hmm. And she said, I'm learning to buy those little baby protector things in my head. Like the visual for her is. I'm going to get those and I've covered up some mm-hmm. so that now I'm not so available Exactly for the shock of the criticism. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. Which That's leads good. me right into the first, I didn't mean for it to, but it just did. Hey, it's good. I'm sure it's good. That's well, good. Bro- I, that's, that's just veteran broadcasting is what that oh, is. Oh, there you go. There you go. First of all, I have thought a lot about these nine books and the courageous authors who wrote them. And I've wondered in putting this kind of uh, journey and vulnerability out into the world, for which number would that be kind of a piece of cake? And for which number would that be the most challenging? And you get the trophy for the most challenging. Because you chose to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are moments in your writing where you could have left out a sentence and it wouldn't have made any difference except that it would have made an enormous difference in terms, do you understand what I'm saying? Nobody would have known a sentence was missing yeah. and it would have been an enormous difference in another one's opportunity to offer themselves some goodness and some grace. Mm -hmm. You were very courageous and very generous. And I think part of that comes with pastoring. You can correct me if that's not true, but um, good preachers tell their own stories and you're that. But I also think it comes from kind of standing in a space where you know that you're fully loved and completely loved and that you're not expected to get it right. And still, 
and still. Mm-hmm. For you to put these thoughts, struggles, meditations, lessons, mistakes in other people's hands and say, here you go. How did you manage the critic when you signed off on each page? You know, Suzanne, I am so grateful that I've had some incredible teachers, Uh, not only my psychiatrists and psychotherapists and um, marriage counselors throughout the years, but my faith community. We have a very large 12-step community, Mm -hmm. and they have taught me vulnerability. They have taught me the power of owning my story. They have taught me uh, what it is to come into a place and not have all the answers. And they've taught me what it is to walk in a room and in the moment, the the right moment to pull off the Band-Aid and let people see your, or the, the, I hate to say Band-Aid because that sounds like it's small, but sometimes it's more like uh, uh, bandages Mm -hmm. that you pull back and let people see your woundedness. And what I have found in that is that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm. And for me, it, it has transformed the way I try to live my life, you know, um, a way of being vulnerable, um, a way of saying, let me tell you about my inner critic and how they beat the heck out of me, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also, let me tell you about how I'm coming to value and appreciate grace and how that shows up for me as kindness towards myself. Like you said, when I go away on a retreat for a few days, typically it's about four days. um, When I come back, I have, you know, I usually get a room that has a king size bed, but my husband and I sleep in a king size bed but I sleep all over that king size bed. Mm-hmm. I, I lay at diagonals. I lay, if I want my head at the foot of the bed and, and, and all of that transcends in my own unique way to breaking all the rules, mm-hmm. to not worrying about cleaning up the tub after I soak in it. Cause there's a housekeeper and I'm gonna generously leave her a tip for cleaning mm-hmm. that tub, right? Mm-hmm. And so all of that, um, that that way, as you mentioned earlier, of giving myself grace, mm-hmm. of loving myself. But for me, all of that really began to take place when I crashed. And my crash was a major depressive episode. Um, I was 37 when it happened. And it took me about three years to begin to craft and co-create with spirit a life that I could live with. Mm. And the one thing that my psychiatrist, no, my therapist said this to me, uh, was Juanita, you will have to live with this diagnosis for the rest of your life. And at the time I thought my psychiatrist was penalizing me. Mm -hmm. But what he was really saying to me was, as you mentioned earlier, before lessons, Mm But coming from that stress for and bringing those lessons with me and, and never forgetting them. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. knowing that those lessons are critical and pivotal to the quality of the life I live, mm -hmm. knowing that those lessons help me um, have the capacity to hold imperfection. You know, I, I have at times walked down the hallway at our church and we've got art that's been dedicated um, or donated rather to our facility. And I'll find myself because our church is next door to a freeway, the art often gets askew, right? And so I'll find myself walking down the hall adjusting all the pictures. And it is a big thing for me to not do that. Right. To just let them be. Because sometimes life gets askew, you know? And so that idea of being able to um, have compassion for myself. Mm. Um, and so when I wrote on the pages of 40 days, I was writing in the hopes that if I bled some on the page, somebody might see it and recognize their own blood and recognize their own capacity for healing and their own capacity for the tremendous growth that we're afforded mm -hmm. and that the Enneagram points us to. That's what's so powerful to me about the Enneagram is you don't really have to go like trudging through the woods trying to find your growth. There, there are arrow, arrows pointing toward mm -hmm. that place of growth. And I, I just love that. It's almost like, I, th I think the Enneagram is, uh, I think it shows us how we got lost. Yeah. Yeah. So it shows us how we can come back. Yes. Yes. And that's uh, not usual. That's not the normal anywhere. No. 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 It's no. interesting that you're talking about that four piece because there, there is a, a capacity for melancholy mm -hmm. along with an ability to appreciate dark, mm -hmm. the dark side mm -hmm. of things mm -hmm. that comes with fourness that ones kind of feel like they have to fight mm -hmm. from the time that they're a little bitty. Exactly. Yeah. I was somewhere and they had screwed in like a frame and it wasn't straight, but it was, it was screwed. Like, there was no adjusting it. It drove me insane. I can't imagine. I hope that people know what a spiritual discipline and practice that is for you to walk down the hallway yeah. and not with your eyes open and yeah. not adjust those. Yeah. yeah. We were just on the coast a few couple of months ago, dad and I, and, um, they had remodeled the hotel rooms during COVID. Like they painted them and it's a place mm -hmm. we stay every time they painted them and they hung these lovely pictures in a mirror and the mirror is hung like so crooked oh. and screwed to the wall, oh, screwed to the wall along with one of the paintings. And what I realize now that I'm listening to y'all talk about this mm -hmm. is how much of my vacation time I lost mm. complaining to Joe about who would do this? <laughs> who would do this and not come back and fix it? Right. That that's my one wing that I will now tip my hat to. And <laughs> it is amazing though, since Juanita, since it's how you see that you're able to overcome some of that 
by locating yourself in the reality of where the church is and what's next door Mm -hmm. and the reality of the gift of the paintings and Mm -hmm. that you could spend the rest of your life straightening them. Exactly. If I wanted to do that, you know, and if I did, I think that would be okay, but that's not how I choose to invest my time. Sure. Sure. Too Um, much. But there was a time when, when like you, that would have just been something to deal with, but you know what? I am learning. And this is what uh, is, is so critical for me. My, my framework is my first book, Learning to Be. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when you talked about that darkness, at first, when I experienced the darkness of my major depressive episode, all I could think of was, when can I get out of this? How quickly can I get out of this? Right? Mm-hmm. Then you get to this point. It was like every day I woke up as though I was falling in this dark tunnel. And I just kept thinking, when will I hit the bottom? When will I hit the bottom? Because surely this constant falling into this darkness has got to stop. And then one day it did. And when it stopped, there was this overwhelming sense of the presence of spirit there the presence of the Trinitarian experience of God there. And it was like, in some ways, it was almost as though I wished I had valued the darkness more, If I, but I didn't know it was gonna lead me there, right? So all I kept wanting to do is to hurry up and get out of the darkness. But it was the darkness that allowed me to come to this place where I was beyond myself, that makes any sense. There's a crazy good book uh, by a friend of the podcast, Luke Norsworthy, called Befriending Your Monsters. Mm. And I'll get a copy of that in the mail to you. Uh, oh, thank tomorrow. you. I appreciate that, Joel. So it, it speaks to what you're, what you're talking about. So it won't be anything yeah. new, it, but it just yeah. reiterates that. Yeah, but it was it was so amazing that the darkness could hold that. I remember every day for months waking up thinking I wouldn't want, wish this on my worst enemy. And I don't at the point I was thinking I don't even think I have any enemies. I, I mean, somebody might have seen me as an enemy, but I wasn't holding anyone as an enemy, right? Mm-hmm. When you have an inner critic as a one, you don't need enemies. You have your own. <laughs> you know, you travel with it. Yeah. You know. Um, and one of the things that I, I realized that if it took all of that darkness for me to finally come to a place of real light, I mean, radiant, life-giving light, then mm-hmm. the darkness was worth it. Absolutely. Yeah, I, um, Joe and I served a particularly challenging church, and a few years after we were uh, no longer there, we were able to stay to say it. If we had to do that over again to learn what we learned, we would do it. Exactly, it was worth it. Couldn't it have learned it any it. other way. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You, yeah. you you keep thinking, well, wasn't there some other way Humpty Dumpty could have fallen? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Nope. Humpty nope. had to crash. Yep. You know that was my story, and I'm so grateful now, Suzanne, to know that all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put me together again. Mm-hmm. Because if they had, they would have put me together the same old way. 
That's good. And that That's way good. Wasn't That'll preach. Working anymore. Nope. Yeah. That yeah. way has sucked the life out of me. Yeah, exactly. It's like an opportunity once you can see it clearly. Yeah. 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 Well, um, one of the things that I, uh, the reason you get the trophy is because um, I think the greatest gift of hospitality is telling your story. And it would be difficult. It's difficult for me sometimes as a two, not to kind of tell most of the story or just change a little bit of it to make it look just a little better, right? Mm -hmm. And once you do that, then you lose the power of story. Mm -hmm. And there are 40 stories Mm -hmm. in this book. Mm -hmm. And they're stories about being who you really are living with the challenges that are yours every day. And I, I love that you referenced 12 step groups because that's about telling your story as it happened, not as you wish it happened or in a way that would look lovely if it had only happened that way, (laughs) (laughs) nor is it always a story with you as the hero, right? A very wise person told me at one point that, you know, you need to uh, get a friend that you trust and you need to go tell them your story and tell them your story all the way through first time with you as the victim. Mm. And then go all the way through and tell them the same story, but with you as the victor. Mm. And that's what you're talking about. You're talking about the fact that the story is the same story. It's just your perspective on how you see it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. I want to talk about you allowing Rudy to clean out your office. (laughs) That was an astonishing read right there. I went back and read that again. And I thought, really, did she like really do that? Yeah. And you not only did it, you let him do it. Hands off. I did. I did. So um, you kind of hid that under ask for what you need. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know what day it is. Day 17, which I I thought was quite early for you to (laughs) get that vulnerable. (laughs) We got to hear the story now. We got got to tell the story first. Tell the story. um, I was experiencing a time where. I had a lot going on, which seems like for ones, we always have a lot going on, mostly in our head. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Um, But as I recall, I I think during that time, I was feeling a bit overwhelmed. And I remembered um, in prayer, the spirit just told me, ask Rudy to help you straighten up your office. Because it was just too much. Matter of fact, it's back in that shape again. <laughs> so, you know, I'm probably going to call on Rudy again. Um, the part I, I, we can I, see looks pretty good. Well, thank you. Um, I like I like mementos. Uh-huh, um, me too. So there are a lot of little things that mean nothing to no one but me that are on my desk, right? And so there are times when it just becomes clutterville. And it feels at times as though I don't have the capacity to discern 
what is really life-giving for me in this space and what's not. And so I know that my husband has the capacity to clear away the things that are mine without attachment. And so um, I asked him, and it wasn't, I'm telling you, this was not an authentic me coming up with this idea. It was strictly the spirit saying to me, ask him to help you. And so one evening, um, and I'm thinking it might've been a Friday. I don't know if I mentioned it in the story or not. The only reason I'm thinking it was a Friday was because um, we slept late the next morning. And so I'm thinking that that was probably a Saturday morning. And so that evening, probably around six or so, and I go to bed early. I usually go to bed at about 8.30. And I just remember saying, I need your help. Is it any way possible that you could go in my office and organize it? Because it's just overwhelming. And I didn't know where to start. And I didn't know what to get rid of. And, and just all of that. And it just, it felt um, overwhelming doesn't even give it credit. Um, it felt heavy. It felt um uh, somehow there's a sense of some kind of punishment involved in it too. And I, I, I haven't quite figured that out. Boy, but, when you do, I want to hear about it. Okay. I'll let you know. Um, I, maybe it's the sense of feeling guilty if I got rid of the things that meant something to me, but didn't necessarily need to be on my desk. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think that's kind of it. And we know guilt always looks for punishment, right? Sure. Um, and so, you know, like right now I have this little sign. It's, it's, it says star in a new adventure. Well, I'm keeping it because it says star in a new adventure. But, you know, it's a three-page deal here. You know? <laughs> like, okay, do I really need all of that? And then a, a good friend of mine gave me something. And so that's on my desk. And, you know, and so all of these things. And, but at a point, they become a kind of an emotional weight, mm -hmm. you know? And so I knew that my husband has the capacity to come in and just kind of like take his hand and knock everything off the desk into a box. And then if I really need it, he'll say it's in that box. Mm -hmm. And so if I really need it, it'll be there, but it won't have to take up my mental space. Mm -hmm. Because my desk, you know, you, I don't know if you've ever seen the sign that says a clutter. No, it says a clean desk is a sign of a cluttered mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, a cluttered desk is also the sign of a cluttered mind, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so his, his kindness, my husband literally, whenever he started, and I'm not quite sure what time of the night it was he started, but I'm thinking maybe it was around 830 or 9. He came into my office and about two o'clock in the morning, he told me, I finished your office. And I was asleep, but I heard him when he said it because I'm a light sleeper. Mm -hmm. And he got in bed for the night. And so I get up before him in the mornings and I got up and I came and sat in my office and I was just, I was filled with gratitude. He had even brought, um, I love tea. And so he had set up a little space in my study where I would be able to have my morning tea. Mm -hmm. And he just, he honored me 
with the way he laid out my office. Mm -hmm. And it was just, I mean, even thinking about it now, I'm just filled with a lot of gratitude and appreciation for him. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, it was, that was probably one of the absolute most vulnerable Mm -hmm. things that I could do. Yeah. Because I was willing to let go of whatever he seemed to believe I needed to let go of. And that that requires a lot of trust, mm-hmm. which I do have for him. And I'm grateful for that. I perceived it uh, when I read your book, All 40, to be extraordinarily vulnerable. And I... Um, I want to keep going with you for just a minute about the things that he took away and put away, because I wonder if each one of those things represented responsibility to you. Hmm. And so to move, it would be irresponsible. If I move this little coin that my friend gave me, I'll forget to thank my friend and then I'll forget what it said, and then I will have not been responsible, and then I will be wrong, and then I will be bad. Yeah, yeah. And thus the punishment. Yes, and then the punishment comes. The sense of the guilt. That's right. Yes, I can see that. Yeah. 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 And I I think uh, one of the things that happens with dependent numbers, ones, twos, and sixes, Mm. is that we uh, depend not only on responses from other people, which I've taught for a long time. But a new thing I'm thinking about, I'd like to hear what you think about, is that not only we depend on the responses from other people, but we depend on our ability to do something in a way that the response will be complimentary or all the all, all of that, right? Absolutely. For me as a one, um, I can look back probably as early as maybe kindergarten and up until, uh, you know, some ways I want to say up until yesterday and other ways I want to say up until 20 years ago, but, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's really just up until yesterday Mm -hmm. feeling that you need or that I needed other people's acceptance and approval needing them to pat me on the back, needing mm-hmm. them to give me a certificate, a good little girl reward, mm-hmm. a star on the chart, uh, and all of that. The trophy my, for your my, book. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> a bestseller. What are you talking about? You know, absolutely. Um, and, and all of that being kind of the underlining reason why you don't get rid of those little things. That's right. So, you know, you want them to walk in your office and go, oh, you still have that? Yes, I do. How could I not have this? You know, yes. all of that as a as a, another kind of transaction for I'm approved of by you. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. accepted by you, you know. And what I came to realize, and and I'm I'm learning in deeper, wider ways, probably uh, noticing it at least once a week is the freedom of not needing other people's approval, acceptance, pats on the back. My best reward I'm learning comes when I know the growth that I've 
attained. And I say to myself, I'm proud of you. Mm-hmm. I can look in the mirror when I'm brushing my teeth and say, girl, you mm-hmm. did that thing. Yeah, I'm proud of you. And that doesn't go away. And it's not symbolized by anything on my desk either. Yeah. It's all internal. Yeah. One of the things looking back that I wish I had asked everybody, uh, you and I kind of got side railed in our chance to visit because of stuff, life. Um, But one of the questions I wish I'd asked everybody and I get to ask you is what, what entry, and you don't need to know the number and you don't need to know it perfectly, Okay, okay. (laughs) but what, what entry was the scariest for you to leave in? And what, and did you take one out? Did you just decide, yeah, I'm not leaving that in there? I, 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 everything that's in the book, matter of fact, I don't think I left anything out. I only wrote 40. (laughs) Uh, That was the assignment, right? Right. Oh, I thought you meant, I thought you were saying, (laughs) sorry, I misunderstood. I only wrote 40. Yes, that was the assignment was to write 40. And And so, (laughs) okay. Now that is, uh, in my estimation, you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. The result of understanding the power of story. You know, I don't, I, I don't know if it was that clear for me, Suzanne. I think it was following the instructions. You know, oh. they asked us to write forty days, and so I wrote forty days. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, I'm going to really, tell them they could have gotten eighty from you if they just they asked. Could have, they really could have. <laughs> Hey, that's the next book. There so, you right? go. <laughs> will, will you be the editor for that one? Okay. That's a, I mean, that's how the people do it. There four agreements, four yeah. more agreements. I get right. <laughs> there you go. 40 days. Yeah, let's, let's do that. Let's do that. You know, one of the ones that was a space of growth, not that they weren't all, because when I was writing them, they were, they were live and in living color, you know? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but working with the serenity prayer, mm-hmm. the full version of the serenity prayer, because most of us stop at, grant me the serenity, accept the things I cannot change, courage to th- change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. But the extended serenity prayer says, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as God did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, because ones would certainly fix it, right? Mm -hmm. Trusting that God will make things right if I surrender to God's will so that I may be, oh boy, this part still kind of gets me, reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with God forever and ever in the next. Mm -hmm. Because ones want peace Mm -hmm. and we really want to be happy. We really want to know joy. But so often we are overwhelmed like my desk, by all the stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, 
and all the ways that we think we ought to be showing up and serving and doing and pleasing and getting things done and fixing the pictures on the wall so that you don't even enjoy being in the room, right? All of that. And so for me, that that was the one that um, still to this day speaks to me. The ability to, to just live this day to the fullest. Um, and, and then for me, the, the tool that helps me with that is always the examine, the examine of Loyola, St. Loyola, where he taught his monks that they might, because they were bivocational, they were monks uh, by night, if you will, and they had jobs by day. But he, he told them, you might miss mass because you'll have to report to your job. You might miss the hours of prayer. You might miss the communion. But do not miss doing the examine before bed at night where mm -hmm. you ask yourself, what gave me life today? And then you ask yourself, what took life from me? And then you give God thanks for what gave you life. Thanks for what took life from you. And then you say to yourself, or you make to yourself the commitment to do more the next day of what gave you life and to do less the next day, even if it means learning a new tool, maybe a new communication skill, maybe a new way of doing whatever it was that seemed to suck the life out of you, that you're cultivating gratitude in both. And then you're doing more that would give you life and less of what doesn't. Mm -hmm. That's living. But most of us, and, and especially I think ones, uh, haven't had this tool mm -hmm. that invites us to really live. One of my most profound spiritual moments happened. Two, two of them. One was when the spirit said to me, because I am a pastor, the spirit said in a moment, you think that when you die, I'm gonna ask you, how many people did you help to know Christ? And I'm pausing, cause I'm thinking like, well, yeah, isn't that the rule, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the spirit said, I'm gonna ask if you had any fun. Ooh, what you gonna do with that? I, I had to learn to lean into that. That's right. You mean the spirit is concerned about me having fun? And then I had to remember Jesus's first miracle was turning water into more Why? party drink. That's right. right? More, more, more powerful punch, <laughs> you know? Yeah, the spirit is, in, is, is, is invested in us enjoying this life. The fruit of the spirit is love. And then what? Joy. Yep. All right, so let's talk about these Enneagram moves. Okay. Because you know, uh, when you're feeling secure and life's kind of lined up properly, yeah. the number that you kind of move toward and inhabit for a bit before you come back to your oneness is seven. Yeah. And you know, what's there happiness and joy yeah. just it's waiting for you. And, and I think when we talk about the security number, we're talking about when life is lined up properly so that we can receive the fullness of what is readily available to us. Yeah. yeah. And I am, was, continue to be very taken with the fact that in your, in almost every entry, 
in your sharing of your oneness, you share it from both sides, the good side and the struggling side. It's like, this is a good thing until it isn't. And then it's a bad thing until it is relived or reinvented into a good thing again, but it's still all part of the package. Mm -hmm. And I um, am hoping that for the ones who read this more than one time, and for those who love ones who read your contribution to this series, that one of the things that they will walk away with is that you don't get rid of oneness, you embrace it. Mm-hmm. It's not going anywhere. Not that I can tell. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't change how you see. So all you can do is change what you're doing with how you see. And you seem to have done the work through a, a lot of hard work to embrace your oneness and say, yeah, this is, this is it. And this is what I get caught doing. And this is how I kind of manage that in the different ways that you do. And I, I, I want ones to hear from ones that imperfection has its place because they can't hear it from any other number. That's right. That's right. Because you would, you as a one, you don't think anybody could possibly understand this, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, You know, it, it amazes me how my oneness has affected my children and it hasn't always been good. Right. Um, I I remember uh, talking about how I wanted my daughter's hair to be perfect and their clothes to be perfect. Not so that just so they would be perfect little girls, but so they would be a perfect representation of me. Right. Right. Um, And how, how much pain that created for them. Um, I'm grateful that we've had enough therapy as a family and enough time and growth my daughters are now adults and so we can talk about it and on occasion we can laugh about it mm-hmm. um and just to remember that if we'll allow ourselves to be open to grace it it brings healing not only for us, but for those we love and have not loved well. Mm-hmm. You know, we thought we were loving them right, but it wasn't the way they needed to be loved. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very interesting for me to listen to you. I thought I saw it on the page, but it's, I can really hear it when I listen to you because you very clearly articulate the word right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I've been trying to get it right since I was a little girl, that's what I hear you saying. Mm-hmm, exactly. And you also have in the last, I don't know, five minutes or something said something about, and, and God put it together the right way, not the way that you would have done it. Right. Correct. <laughs> exactly. Right? Right. exactly. Exactly. And so I think in that, I think allowing for that reality in your relationship with God, you also allow for that in your relationship with 
Rudy, when you gave him the power to be with your stuff Mm -hmm. and decide what you needed to keep. Mm -hmm. Now that I think is, is a lovely prayer. What if we could say to God, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to let you take my stuff and you decide what I need to keep. Right. Like I I got all this. I don't know. It it all looks important to me. Right. Exactly. Yes. It all seems like the responsible thing to me to care for. So you take it. Right. Yeah. I tell you, if things get bad in the ministry business and in the church, you can just rent Rudy out to clean up other people's (laughs) stuff. Go in there and take what they don't need and leave what they do. That's right. Well, you know, he has a king set, a a gift of discernment, too. Yeah. And and so that discernment um, has always served us well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Do we have time, Joel, to talk about one more entry? We got time for one more. Yeah. All right. Great. Uh, it, it was early on. Who died and made ones the judge? Ooh. You said in relationship to do not judge or you too will be judged. Matthew 7, 1 to 5. You uh, said the truth is that judging others has been at the basis of probably every major relationship interruption in my life life. Now that's a sentence. I'm going to read it again. The truth is that judging others has been at the basis of probably every major relationship interruption in my life. I had never realized that for me to be Ms. Wright automatically made the other wrong. What I'm learning is that condemnation, criticism, and judgment have an energy frequency composed of feelings as far-reaching as fear, hatred, and scorn, which are not life-giving. Would you talk to that, please? Because that's one of the most powerful places in this book. Thank you. Well, so what I've come to realize is um, through a particular uh, work called the Map of Consciousness, it was done by a physician who wanted to basically see if he could measure emotions And so they used brain probes and they did research and he basically came up with this kind of map that shows our emotions and how uh, certain emotions are on the lower uh, end of this um, spectrum. And they have a weight to them like sadness, grief, fear, shame, apathy. And they carry this very low kind of energy And then he talked about these higher um, feelings, these higher awarenesses like love, as an example, Um, um, courage, um, willingness, um, and and a number of other feelings. And basically it went up to the place where we see miracles occurring. And so the miracle level is the level where Jesus, if he had been put probes on his brain, we would have said he was at that level. And so what I came to realize is that I was so attached to this notion of right and wrong that it was, I was, I was creating a story about people that may have not even really been their story because I either saw behavior or I saw a way of showing up in the world and expression that in my very narrow 
what's right, what's wrong, thinking, brain, uh, it, it didn't, it didn't compute, right? And so then I would make up a story about the person. Oh, that person is never going to make it or they're this or they're that, whatever the story was. And what I realized through the, the disruption of a, at that point, it probably been a 15 year friendship that what disturbed me about that friendship was that this person was a consummate judger, always judging people, right? And what I came to realize is that they were just mirroring me and they were free enough to say what they were judging. I only judged in my head, right? And what I realized is when the scripture said, and this is just even kind of more revelation since I wrote that, that the way you judge is the way you shall be judged was because I was judging me more harshly than anybody. Mm -hmm. I was criticizing myself more harshly than anybody. Mm -hmm. And so what I began to do is this practice of compassion, but I couldn't do it on myself right away. I had to do it on other people. Mm -hmm. And so the way I would do it would be if I saw a person and something about that person uh, as an African-American woman, as an example, if I saw a person who was by all indication, a white supremacist, then I would have a response to that. Mm -hmm. And so what I began to do is to practice dialing back criticism of others as a means to teach me to dial back criticism of myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I would look at the person and I would say, just like me, that person wants what's best for his family. Mm -hmm. Just like me, that person probably knows what it's like to be disappointed. Just like me, that person has probably experienced um, not having all of his needs met. Just like me, that person probably wants to be happy and no mm -hmm. joy. Mm -hmm. And so as I began to do that, it became the practice because I'm saying just like me. So that means I'm, I'm honoring the fact that there are some things I do and I show up in the world when I just want to be happy. Mm -hmm. I just want to be contentment. I just want my family to have things that are good and life-giving for them, right? And when I engage in those condemnation kind of words, my energy always shifted. And so I had to begin to notice what I was noticing, mm -hmm. that, that it's true, the power of life and death are in the tongue, but it starts in the thoughts. Mm -hmm. It starts with how I'm thinking. And as I began to think in life-giving ways towards other people, it made it easier to think in life-giving ways towards myself. Mm -hmm. That's such good, strong, deep, wonderful work. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for asking. Yeah. All right. I got one more question for you. Wow. What do you wish everybody knew about ones? Oh, my gosh. That really what ones long for, if I could put it in the words of Julian of Norwich, is that all shall be well. Mm -hmm. That yeah. all manner of things shall be well. Even crooked pictures on hallways <laughs> and buildings next to freeways. 
and crooked pictures screwed in and mirrors screwed in in hotel rooms that all shall be there. And that we can choose. We can choose to be more lighthearted about life. Everything isn't a live or die experience. Mm -hmm. Um, That one's long to have fun, but we might need somebody to help show us the way. Yeah. There you go. You are a beautiful woman in so many ways. Thank you for writing the book, for the contribution that you made to the series, for the other books that you're putting in the world and the ministry that you do. And um, I wish for you only the very, very best. Thank you, Susan. You bet. Thank you. For you and Joy. Thank you. We'll take it. It's been a pleasure.